Lord, we thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Uh, we can come together. We can um, encourage each other. We can be blessed just by the, the sweet time that we have together. Lord, now as we open your word, we know we're going to hear from you. May our hearts and minds be open. May our ears hear what you have to say to us through this letter today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Revelation chapter 3. This week we're going to be reading the letter to the church at Sardis. Sardis was 50 miles east of Ephesus. Whenever we say things like that in the modern day, 50 miles, oh, get in the car, drive on over there. Well, 50 miles was a two and a half day journey in those days. They didn't really journey fast. And so Sardis was out there a ways by itself. It was at an intersection of five main roads, and it was a military center there. It was built up, surrounded by three cliffs, and in such a position, it made it easily defensible until someone attacked it that had a little more brains than the people defending it. Uh, which happened twice, and they were completely overrun twice because the watches that they set either fell asleep or weren't even there because they were so sure that they were secure that they didn't even set watches on the city, which was kind of silly. The main religion there was the worship of Artemis. It was a decadent city known for loose living and pleasure and, and having a good time at all times. It seems like many cities that we have in the United States right now. Much of the city was destroyed during an earthquake in 17 AD, uh, but then was rebuilt by Rome. But by the time that this letter was written, it was in decline. Not only the city but also the church that was there was in decline. Today's message is titled, The Unrepentant Church. We continue our study through Revelation with chapter 3 and verse 1, where Jesus speaks, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Well, the seven spirits, uh, the um, seven stars, we read about them in chapter 1, and we uh, read in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on my right hand, 
and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And so Jesus is saying here that he is the seven spirits of God. Well, this is in concert with those seven stars, seven lampstands. He is the spirit that walks amidst the lampstands. He is the presence of the Holy Spirit there uh, in the churches. And he calls them out saying, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but are dead. Jesus was calling out all the churches, letting them know he knows their works. Well, if he wrote to seven churches and said, I know your works to all the seven churches, we're a church. Does he know our works? Of course he does. He knows everyone's works, individually and collectively as the church. He knows what's going on. It's interesting that he's speaking through the angel to the churches because Some say, oh, well, the angel is an angel over the church. Some say it's the pastor over the church. Angel means messenger. And I don't know either way, but it's interesting that he is speaking through this angel to the church, through this messenger, through the church. He's not holding the messenger responsible for what's going on in the church. So that inclines me to believe it's more an angel than it is the pastor because I believe pastors are responsible for what goes on in the church. That the pastor has to be aware of the things happening so that the pastor can correct the things that are going on. Not correct them according to my will, but according to the word of God. And quite often pastors get up there and start talking about things that are bothering them, you know, and, uh, and that's how they disseminate the information to the flock. I'm going to tell you what bothers me and uh, you guys, you know, you don't tithe enough. You don't give enough money and I, you know, and, and they do this, you know. Hey, do you want to see us fold, you know, and... And it's like, well, hold on, I thought this was God's church. He takes care. That's between you and God. So, you know, I, you know, am here as a messenger from God, in essence, with his word. And I'm not worried about all of the details of what goes on in people's lives unless it's in conflict with the word of God and unless it's having a negative effect on the flock. That's my role. But I'm, my role primarily is to teach the word of God. And so he is saying here, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive. We can name the church something that makes us sound like a, a relevant church. Have you heard of relevant church? I mean, that sounds really relevant. And, um, and so it makes it sound like it's alive. It's, it's involved. And I don't have anything against, I don't know who relevant church is. I, I've just seen it. And so I, you know, you know, but we should have like a cool name, shouldn't we? 
We, we should have something that really stirs people. How about something like Skull Church? <laughs> Levi Lusco. He, he, his church is Skull Church. Wouldn't that be cool? How many people want to call this Skull Church? Too late. It already is called Skull Church. <laughs> Calvary in the Latin means skull. So, you belong to Skull Church. You want to get the tattoo after service? You know, it's not about the name. It's about who the church is according to who is in the church. The relationship that we have with God. And a name doesn't take us any further than the world sees us. Oh, that's a cool name. It's not about a name. It's about what we do as a church, as individuals. If you see me out in public acting silly, then that's a reflection on the church too. But more, it's a reflection on my relationship with the Lord. And so we want to, as ambassadors of God, of Jesus, as ambassadors, we want to represent him well. We want to be saying the right things and doing the right things so that people actually get a glimpse of who Jesus is. This church wasn't doing that. They had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. They didn't have any fruit coming out of the church. That's what I get from a church being dead. There is no fruit. You're not producing anything that God wants. It, it appears that they were like a country club type church. You know, you go there to hang out and have a good time. Potlucks. Hey, there's nothing wrong with potlucks. There's nothing wrong with good food. I'm, I'm right there. Okay, we do that in celebration together to glorify God. That's why we, we do these things. It's, it's family. We get together and we glorify God. We're thankful for what God has done. And we can do that. We can have fun. But if that's our primary purpose of getting together, then we're missing the point. Our primary purpose for getting together is to grow in our relationship and our walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our primary purpose. So every time we get together, it's so that we can draw closer, we can learn something new. Now, you would assume that being a pastor, I know it all already. Right? You don't assume that. Well, thank you. Um, I don't know it all. I, as a matter of fact, every time I prepare a study, the Lord shows me something new. Every single time. He shows me something from a different point of view. From, and I look and I say, how have I been studying this so long and I didn't see that? You know, it, It's because I wasn't prepared to see that back then. But today I'm prepared to see it or circumstances have changed. 
You see, we look at Ezekiel chapter 38, and if you looked at it 100 years ago, it wouldn't make any sense because Israel wasn't a nation. But now we look at it, and it's like, that's happening right now. Everyone's getting prepared to fulfill that prophecy. And so we're excited because we see the Bible being unfolded before our very eyes. The prophecies taking place before our very eyes. This is exciting to me. You know, I am pumped when I read and say, that's happening now. Oh Lord, you're doing that now. There are some things that aren't even prophecy that I read and I sense that God is doing it now. And, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. We're, I'm, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Our primary pur- purpose is to glorify God and to be the hands and feet of the Holy Spirit. That's what our role should be. Jesus told the church in Sardis they were dead. One thing Jesus doesn't mention is any persecution. You know, he mentioned that with the other church. I know what you're going through. I know the trials that you're going through. I know the struggles that you're going through. He's not mentioning any persecution. Quite often we live comfortable lives and during our comfort we don't experience trials, persecution, and during that time, our relationship may actually uh, fade. It become distant because things are going so good. And that just reminds me that trials are not there to hurt us. Trials aren't there to cause us uh, to be angry with God, trials are there to draw us closer to God, to make us realize that we need him in our lives to get us through these trials. As a pastor, it seemed like the enemy likes to dump trials on us over and over again to get me to say, you know what? I'm done with this. And over 1,500 pastors a year walk away from the ministry because of the trials that they go through. And I understand that. But it hasn't dissuaded me. It makes me want to dig in even further. Because every time we go through a trial and the Lord is glorified through the trial... It's like, see that? God had that from the very beginning. Whether it's our house burning down a few years ago. That just happened four years ago the other day. uh, Our house burned down. And, uh, you know, you would think, Lord, that's our house, you know. And all gone. Cheryl had gone through cancer twice and then, uh, or cancer once and then, cancer threats numerous times since then and every time it's like no the Lord had this that's not what it is and it's like wow God it's still a trial when you're waiting for the results isn't it it's still a trial 
And we went through so much and it's like, look how faithful the Lord was. This city wasn't going through any trials. This church wasn't going through any trials. They didn't have the persecution of the enemy. Why not? There was no reason for the enemy to persecute them. They were already on board with the enemy. They were following his program. They were no threat of spreading the gospel. And so he's going to leave those people alone, just like he does in the world today. He, he's not focusing his attention on those people. Verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. That's not something any of us want to hear. You know, they were this military stronghold. They were a place that was secure, supposedly, and they didn't defend it when it was time for the enemy to attack. They snuck in and they got in. They weren't protective of what they needed to protect. The same thing was happening to the church. Protect what you have because you're on your way out. You're going to die if you don't protect, if you don't defend the things that you're supposed to have. So he's saying, be watchful. This was a character flaw that they had there. They weren't watchful. And that's why in uh, Ezekiel 33, it says we're supposed to be watchmen on the wall, watching for the coming of the Lord, but we're also supposed to be watching for the coming of the enemy to make sure that the enemy doesn't have a foothold in our lives, in our church, or anything else. We need to be careful and we need to be sure we're not overconfident in what we... We can get that way. We can get that way even with Scripture. We can become overconfident in the Scripture. I am sure I know what I need to know and I'm sure I'm doing everything right. You know, and that's not true. I'm sorry to disappoint you, um, but we're not doing everything right because we're human. We make mistakes. Even me in all my perfection, I still have to drive. Uh, you know, and I still, I, have, I go shopping sometimes. Not, not a good thing. I, I try to send Cheryl, but she says, oh, come along, come on. You haven't had any trials this week. Come shopping with me. <laughs> so, you know, we need to do that, though. We need to get ourselves in situations where we're uncomfortable. Because God uses that situation to make us better. And these people weren't getting themselves in. They were just living like the world. And they were going to be dead soon. I have not found your works perfect before God. Perfect, the word perfect means complete. 
So it's not perfect as in there are no flaws. It's in perfect as incomplete. I have not found your works being completed. The idea is that they started something and they didn't complete it. They only went this far and then they stopped. How often that happens to us? That we start something and it just seems to be too much effort and we don't complete it well. I know, you know, raising children is one of the, I I couldn't say, you know, 13, that's enough, you're on your own now. I had to complete that. You know, I had to continue even though there were times where I felt like this was way more than I thought it was going to be. You know, this is much more of a struggle than I really planned on. But now, looking at them in retrospect, and at my daughter will be 30, that she's the youngest uh, in, in February, and, I, and see what she made of herself and see what she's done, I'm like so proud. And then I, and God said, yeah, she had a good mom. <laughs> you know, and, and believe me, I have a great relationship with her but really, it's her mom that has that relationship that got her to where she is today, you know. And I recognize that. Um, but I also recognize the fact that I had some influence in her life to keep her in within certain boundaries, you know. My son, who just put on warrant officer now in the army, I'm so proud of him, but, you know, Maybe it was how I raised him partially and in, in keeping him. Uh, you know, I was military, so I know that this is how it, the right way to do things. And, um, and, and so here he is today. I'm very proud of what he has become. And, and, but he still makes mistakes. And so will my daughter. We all make mistakes, even the oldest of us who should have learned a long time ago. Uh, We still um, make mistakes, and um, I'm probably making a mistake talking about that right now. But they need to be going back to what they started and completing what they started. We need to do the same thing. You know, when people say, well, I read the whole Bible, you know, okay, And what did you do this year? Um, I'm not saying that you have to read your Bible every year. But I've read over and over and over again. And like I said, it changes. Well, the words didn't change. My heart, my attitude toward the Bible has changed. And I listen with different ears. I, I hear what God is saying better now than I ever have before. And I pray that it continues to get better, that I continue to grow in that. And so it's not that I know every verse in the Bible or anything like that. It's that I know what God is speaking to me about. And it may be different from what God is speaking to you about. But if I wasn't reading his word, I wouldn't know what he was speaking to me about. I would have to take the word of someone else 
don't take my word for it. Be a Berean. Go check it out yourself. And, you know, that will get you toward the work that he wants to complete in you. Verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I come upon you. So Paul um, also talked quite a bit about this, about being awake, being alert, and preparing. When Jesus calls them, uh, they were taught not to let it go through one ear and out the other. That's what Jesus taught them. Listen to it, absorb it, hear it. But not only here, they needed to repent from their apathy and put their faith to work. Paul, he addressed this from another perspective. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, he said, But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You see, he was talking about the future day when the Lord was going to fulfill his plan. And he said, you should be ready for that. Guys, we should be ready. Because that day is closer now than it ever has been. We're living in the days. And as we... Now, I'm not date setting. I'm not saying it's, you know, well, it's this date or that date. Could be 10 years, right? Could be 10 hours. I don't know when. But I know that I was told to be a watchman, to be ready, to be prepared for his coming, to know that it is imminent. Why all these other generations between the time that Jesus said this and today, what about all them? Well, they needed to be prepared just as well because none of them are alive anymore. They have all entered into eternity, all those other generations. So eventually all of us, whether it's today or whether we go home today to be with the Lord, um, it's now, it's imminent, it's upon us. We need to be prepared for that to happen. In Sardis, there were many that weren't living in expectation of the Lord. They were walking in darkness. And that's why Jesus told them that they had no idea when he would return. He would come as a thief. Remember in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about those that weren't ready. Some were out in the field working and one was taken, one was left. And and two were in bed, one was taken, one was left. And he said, remember, be ready because I am going to come as a thief. You don't know what hour the thief is coming. If you did, then you would be ready. But he said, I'm coming as a thief. So be ready, be watchful, be prepared. We could take this to heart because even though we believe that we're living in the last days, we don't know the hour. We don't know when that will come. And so we should always be expecting his return. So in verse 4, he concludes this 
where he says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. First of all, those few names, it's, it's the remnant. In the church today, I believe that a majority of the church is not walking with Jesus. I know that's a bold statement to make. I, don't, I haven't taken a poll. I haven't talked to George Barna. But I believe, uh, actually I have read George Barna's work, and he says that 70% of the evangelical churches in the United States do not believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. 70% don't. 50% do not believe in the virgin birth. We're talking about evangelical churches. 50% do not believe in a virgin birth. Well, then how can you have a perfect Jesus without the virgin birth? And, and so that just tells me how out of touch the church is with reality. And so we are a remnant. We, we don't have thousands of people here, and I'm not mocking churches with thousands. Praise the Lord, there are great churches with thousands of people that teach the word of God, and people are hungry to come in and, and hear the word of God. And that's why they keep growing. That's how come they keep adding services, because they're teaching the word of God, and People are being saved and, and wanting to be. Here in our community, we have many churches. Some of them are very good. And they teach the word of God. But we, as a small group of people, are a small group compared to the world. We're just a drop in the bucket. We are the remnant. We are the ones who are prepared, I pray that we're walking with Jesus daily and prepared for his imminent return. Them in Sardis? No, there are only a few that didn't defile their garments and they're going to walk in. You know, they knew what walking in white meant. They were an industry city where they did a lot of wool harvesting and they knew they were in the garment industry there. They were also the first place that um, they started dyeing things, dyeing fabrics and everything uh, in that region that was Sardis. Also, now I know dyeing had been happening for centuries, but we're talking about as an industry, not as a, a specific thing. Uh, as an industry, Sardis had that all. Sardis was the first place to actually develop manufactured coins. And they found coins in Sardis before, way before the rest of the population had coins. So this was a, a, a cutting-edge community, and the church there was probably more like the world than they were like the Christian churches in other 
locations. So Jesus goes on to say, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. That's concerning what? Well, first of all, blot, I will not blot his name out. So that implies that someone's having their name blotted out. Who are they? So, in my mind, every name that ever lived was written in the book of life from the very beginning. But their names were blotted out at some point. The ones that didn't accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior before they left this earth. The unforgivable sin. The unpardonable sin is not murder, it's not divorce. It's not, there, there are lots of people that give the unpardonable sin its claim to some other sin, but that's not it. The unpardonable sin is not receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior before you die. You can't be pardoned at that point. It's too late. You can't pray someone into heaven. Although some churches believe that. Some very large churches that Jesus is talking about here. That they're more interested in religiosity than they are in the truth. And so here he says, I will not blot his name out. Just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. He who overcomes. We need to be overcomers. Verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He said that so far every time, right? He who has an ear. Do you have an ear to hear? That's really what it comes down to. Not just this letter, but every letter that he was written to the seven churches. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And he didn't say what the Spirit says to this church. He says to the churches, they apply to all of us. Individually, it applies to us. We need to hear what Jesus is saying. It's important. So the good news is that every believer in Jesus has their name. It says in verse 5, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Every believer will have their name brought up before the Father in heaven. Your name will be brought up. You know, fortunately, I have a less than common name. When, when they say Ricky Ralph Ponzo, there won't be a line of Ricky Ralph Ponzos. <laughs> you know, but I, I'm thinking, oh man, we're, it's going to be said before the Father in heaven. Uh, that is monumentous. Jesus, he's our advocate. Even though most of the uh, Sardis were spiritually dead, there was this remnant who waited for Christ. And that's who we are today here in this church. If you're a believer, if you receive Jesus Christ, and I know 
almost all of you, so I believe that that's the case. Five characteristics of a dead church. We'll close with this. Uh, The unrepentant church is a church where the Holy Spirit isn't moving. And the Holy Spirit doesn't move in the church. You know, like on the day of Pentecost, it it moved in the place. You heard the sound of the wind uh, blowing and and the flames were lit, uh, you know, over their head. Uh, That's not how the Holy Spirit moves every time. Otherwise, people would have little lighters installed on their head. Oh, yeah, I have the Holy Spirit. Look what I got. You know, the Holy Spirit moves not as a church. The Holy Spirit moves individually in each one of us. And so when the Holy Spirit moves, it's because he's moving. How does he move within us? Sometimes he moves us to pray for someone. Sometimes he says, you know, go over and speak to that person. Go over and share this with them. Go over and pray with them about the struggles that they're going through. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, I'm revealing something in you, in you, not in me, but in you. He, he's revealing something that he wants us to get rid of, that he wants to cleanse out of our lives. He does that to me too. And we have to be ready. But a church that isn't listening to the Holy Spirit, that's the unrepentant church. I don't listen to the Holy Spirit. I don't repent when the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. Number two, it's ritualistic and religious. Exchanging ritual for the truth. How many churches are doing that nowadays? A church that's living in the past, not in the present. Uh, This is what God has done. That's what happened to the Jewish church. They lived in the past of what God has did, did for them in, in bringing them out of Egypt, and then everything was good, and then they just started living on their own, following their false gods, and, and then they were put back in captivity again. It, it happens when we as a church take our eyes off the truth. Number four, the church can be asleep. It started strong, but then complacency set in and the church falls asleep, not doing what God wants them to do. And unfortunately, that's a majority of the churches in America today. Churches that have fallen asleep. Churches that aren't having an impact on the community that they live in. And I don't schedule events where, okay, we as a church are going to go out and we're going to have this, you know, door knocking exercise where we can knock on doors and, and because you know in Fountain Hills, no one's going to open. <laughs> Unless you're selling solar panels. No one's opening the door. Okay, so how do we have an impact as a church? We don't. We have an impact as individuals. We speak to our neighbor. We pray for our neighbors. We talk to the people in Safeway. We let the woman with the full cart go ahead of us in line. Uh, 
you know, when we only have two things. No, you, you, you look like you have kids at home. <laughs> you need to get there. We do what's unexpected to bless others ahead of ourselves. That's how the church shows them. We don't have to say, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. You don't have to say that. But someone's going to ask you, wow, why would you do that? Why, why would you be so nice? And then you can share with them, oh, it's just Jesus. You know, he's doing this. Finally, number five, they were wordless. They may have listened to the scriptures being taught by the pastors there in the church, but it wasn't here in their heart. It may have been here even in their head, but it didn't sink down to where it comes alive. The word of God comes alive in our heart. If it's just staying here, oh sure, we can follow rules and regulations and so on and so forth, but that's not what salvation's about. That's not what being a Christian is about. It's about living it here. It, it, it's about letting the Holy Spirit change the way you live and the way you interact with others around you. Sardis was a dead church because they stopped doing all of these things. And Jesus called them out and said, hey, yeah, there's just a few of you, but the rest of you, you're on the road to hell. You're a dead church. So let us not ever be told we're a dead church or that we're dead in the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are still active in the church, not in the building, in the people. You're active in our lives, in our hearts, and you want to continue to be active. You want to complete the work that you started in us. So Lord, help us to get out of the way and to allow you to complete the work that you want to do. Thank you for this fellowship, this time that we can get together and hear from you and worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.